Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Songwriters on Process podcast. My name is Benno Papari, and since 2010, I've run the Songwriters on Process website, where you can find more than 200 conversations with songwriters about the creative process. I'm not here to talk about tour stories, band drama, how a band got its name, or favorite foods. My goal is to treat songwriters as writers, plain and simple. This is an intelligent conversation about the writing process between two writers. And today's interview is with John McCauley and Ian O'Neill of Deer Tick. I loved this interview. Um, I love it when songwriters are specific with the things they need, the places they need to be uh, with their process. I love all the interviews, don't get me wrong, but I love it when they say, yes, I need this thing, I have to be here. And these guys know what they need, they know what they want, they know what they need to be. There's no, yeah, I can, yeah, whatever, I'll run anywhere, I can do anything. Um, For example, Macaulay said he needs, and he showed it to me, he's got this little blue notebook that he carries around, and it's got to be a number two Ticonderoga, I think, uh, pencil. He likes to write on the floor. Uh, Britt Daniel of Spoon told me that about a year ago, too. Um, He gets a lot of ideas through turn signals. He does not listen to music when he's driving, but he finds that turn signals are a great source of inspiration. I've heard that too. And he loves, he said he gets a lot of ideas in the laundry room. Hey, listen, you know, we all got to do laundry. And for O'Neill, O'Neill likes the kitchen. Um, it's a great energy source. I, I love this response. Um, the, 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 the kitchen is the energy source for the house. And so the kitchen is the place where he feeds off that energy, even if no one's there, but he doesn't sit down. He stands up when he's in the kitchen. He says, again, that's his main energy energy source. Both of these guys are gym rats. They get a lot of ideas. I think O'Neill said that, uh, I know O'Neill said he's a big runner and Macaulay rides the recumbent bike for 30 minutes and they get a lot of ideas there. Um, and we get, and we finished talking a lot about reading these guys. Both of them are voracious readers. Um, I'd love to talk about that with them as well. So again, um, I, I really enjoyed this um, listening to, I mean, I, I, they're great songwriters. Deer Tick's a great band and these guys are great songwriters, but I just, I really enjoyed the specificity of the process. Um, so check it out. Here is my interview with John McCauley and Ian, Ian O'Neill of Deer Tick. Um, Ian, since you're the big one on my screen first, I'll start with you. Um, are you an everyday type of writer or do you feel like you just, it's important. Is it important to write every day or create in some fashion or are you just a, I'd rather write when the mood strike and not force it kind of person. Maybe I benefit from writing every day, but it's tough to do that when you're a parent too. So I try to sneak it in whenever I can. Um, and then just kind of build up as many ideas as I can possibly store and then when I really have some time away from the family or from the kids, I can really dig into the demos and like start to really refine something. So we have four kids. And so I know what that is like. And do you find though that, um, and I've had this conversation with songwriters who are parents and uh, I interviewed and re- interview one recently who said, I think it was Shana Cleveland who told me that um that all the time in the world is the worst thing to have because when there's no timeline, no discipline, like I found that having a parent, you have those small windows, right? And you, and you know, pre pre kids, it was like, you can lay around, but like you were saying, when you have kids, it's harder, but do you find that in some way that makes that like, if you have an hour to write, 
when you know you only have an hour, do you get more done than if I said, oh, write for an hour, but there's no reason to stop after an hour, if that makes sense? Definitely. No, absolutely. I found that when I actually do have the house to myself, um, like the lived experience of being a parent and the lived experience of not having any free time um, really lends itself to, I think, making better work. I don't know. It feels like I have like a lot of reserves and then they get to uh, a lot of reserved experience that I get to put into the songs in really short periods of time. Yeah. Um, John, how about you? Are you a write every day kind of person or just kind of like, no, I'd rather not force it thing? I have no discipline. <laughs> not at all. Whatsoever. No. And <laughs> I'm just kidding. I carry around a little notebook like this, a tiny spiral notebook, a little pencil snapped in half. And uh, I'll just write little things as they come to me, put them together later, like a puzzle. So, are these are are you well actually i was going to ask you this later but we'll do it now i do find that songwriters are incredibly particular about type of notebook or even like if it is a pen like color of ink are you are you a pen or a pencil person we'll start with that because i could do a whole website dedicated to just that part of the process yes uh ticonderoga number two pencils <laughs> see I was just in uh, New York Magazine talking about these pencils. So, <laughs> oh, you were okay, perfect. And and so, is it? I'm just trying to get a pallet shipped to my house. That's what I'm trying. Yeah. So, is it, it? Do you find that the the because on the other hand, I've heard people say pens are better because if you cross it out, you can still see it if you need it later. But do you when you use pencil? Are you erasing things? No, I still cross it out. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. <laughs> what, what's that, Ian? I said that's smart not to, not to erase anything. Yeah, let um, the process be on the page. Right, right. I mean, I kind of hear both things. I mean, from people who you know, pen or pencil or computer or anything like that. Um, yeah, it's funny because I just interviewed Josh Ritter, and he said that it's all on his phone. He said, "I know people like to think that I write with a quill pen, but he said it's all on my phone, not even my computer." He's like, "That's the reality of it." Um, so John, one more thing then is that, does the notepad matter? Um, no, I kind of have, I go through big notebooks when I'm trying to compile my notes from the little guy, but the little guy, no, whatever is cheap at CVS or something. You know? Yeah. So yeah. go ahead Ian. Yeah. I found that when I was younger and kind of, I don't know, more romantic, I would like need the moleskin uh notebook but then i feel, felt like i got less done the fancier stuff i had you know treating it with such preciousness is uh i think it's not very productive gets in the way of the actual writing and i'm curious how both of you feel about this because you bring a good point and and i've heard that before that it, it, that some songwriters make it deliberately not precious so they will go out of their way not to do that and write on like um, the back of utility bills or envelopes. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But do you do that? Is it because that's all I can find or is it, I want to make this as less precious as possible? It's because me and my wife have a pretty disorganized house and sometimes I can't find paper. And so, <laughs> but, but you know, when you actually, when a really interesting line strikes you and you're like, I haven't thought that way before, then it, however you get it down is all that's important to me, you know? And I, it, again, another story, I interviewed uh, Adam Grandusiel from The War on Drug. This was like 
10 or 11 years ago, I think, back when they were playing super, super small places. And he said that he writes on utility bills, but he has to fish them out of the trash because his partner at that time would always throw them away, not realize he had stuff on there. My wife's um, really good at saving stuff. She she has like boxes of like things that she's found that I probably would have let fall into the cracks of history. There you go. Um, so John, in that notebook, are you writing down lyrics or it's just like ideas that you're going to get to later on? Uh, usually it's it's one or two lines at a time that uh, I believe will someday become a song, you know? And is there any, do either of you, I guess, John, do you use voice memos or the memo feature, or I guess voice memos in your phone, uh, are those voice memos, is that just, is the app just filled with various ideas too? Uh, just musical mostly. Uh, I don't really record ideas for lyrics uh i don't really dictate that or whatever i just yeah. like to write it down a lot of songwriters tell me they have those voice memos from years and that's just all i can think about is there's no organization to them whatsoever and how it must be you know flumming through and thinking where's that great idea that i had so is there any john go ahead and we'll go to ian john is there any sense of organization to those memos on your phone yeah i go through them periodically and i'll change the title of it i'll be like became jump starting or something <laughs> and then <laughs> and then i'll i'll kind of name the file whatever um something to make it unique so that i won't forget and if i really like something i'll i'll put like a, a check mark emoji in the title if i'm not so hot on something I might put like the big black X emoji. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Ian? Do you have any, is there any organization? That's pretty, by the way, that's far more advanced than I usually ever hear. So any <laughs> filing system is better than I, what I normally hear. Um, how about you, Ian? I don't have quite that much organization, but I do, uh, like I'll start a song and now I like, won't have a, a like a lyric that like kind of reads as a title yet. And then like I'll keep uh, thinking about it throughout the day and recording another version of another version of it. And my way of uh, you know, um the check mark for me is like all caps. <laughs> like finally this <laughs> idea is this is this is its best form so far. Um, but like I do the same thing as John where I go through old ideas, and that's kind of how a lot of like the most recent songs became. Your dick songs, you know, so I can probably get rid of those, but maybe I should keep them for posterity. Do you go back? I mean, I have, I have, I, it's mostly, it's frightening, but I will go back to things I've written years ago and say, oh, you know, that has legs. It didn't have legs back mm -hmm. then, but it might actually, you know, there may be something to that now. I mean, I'm a prose writer, not a songwriter. Um, so do you go through those, maybe those ones that aren't that special in and deliberate and maybe go okay this might work now even though it didn't back then definitely i think coming at it from like having completely forgotten it, it was ever like briefly jotted down or briefly recorded in like between daily tasks that's how like two of the songs on the, or three of the songs on the new, on the new record of mine all kind of came to fruition that way or they're like an idea from years ago that i was like i don't know how to finish this right now i'll probably never finish it because that's often what happens but it's been actually technology has been helpful in that way where like it can bring you back to exact moment of time and space where your mind was in a completely different spot than it is now and so yeah i've been able to reapproach old ideas with fresh knowledge and fresh i don't know ears do you deliberately 
set something aside. Like for me, I find when it's not happening, I'll deliberately set it aside, but come back maybe the next day. So yeah. do you do that often too? Yeah. I've, I'm, if I feel like I've gotten to the point where like, I'll start overwriting or I'll start like losing the plot, then I'll be like, this is good enough to like, definitely revisit at some point you know yeah and so then i'll come back to it yeah the following day or like sometime throughout the week yeah john how about you and you have those ideas and you find they're not happening do you say i'm going to set this aside for a day come back come back to it with a fresh perspective i don't get rid of anything so yeah i still have writings and stuff from when i was a teenager that just i'll probably never do anything with it but uh, it's fun to to go through it every now and then if you're looking for it could be as simple as you need an interesting word and it's going to be more fun to go through your old writings than it is to go through a thesaurus or whatever. Right, right, right. Hemingway said that he would always stop. I, I could never do this, but I'm so impressed with his discipline. He, Hemingway said he would stop writing at night when he knew he had something left to say, because he was terrified of starting the next day with nothing in the tank. So he'd always say like, that's the point when you stop. So you know that the next day you got something to say. I could never do that, but that was always his way of doing it because he was terrified, like I said, of waking up and saying, there's nothing left. That's interesting. Yeah. I can't hold on to uh, creative ideas overnight, you know? It's they, yeah. they're gone in the morning. I've tried it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So do any of you, do either of you, and Ian will, will continue with you, get ideas. I find that songwriters get great ideas during periods of movement, whether it can be, uh, and I'm not talking about drives. I'm talking about walking, hiking, you know, some kind of physical activity, physical activity, or they get great ideas and I guess this is, a, this is a two-part question through monotonous activities. Um, you know, I've heard songwriters tell me they get ideas through uh, a gardening or, uh, you know, vacuuming, uh, doing the dishes, something that requires no conscious thought. So lets the unconscious bubble up. Um, so yeah, both of those things, they were talking about two things, the movement or the monotony. And I, maybe that has gotten exacerbated it was during COVID because people were inside all the time and, you know, had nothing to do. But I'm curious if there's any specific moments or if you maybe use that as a part of your process. I think both of those are true. I'm, I am I like to run every day and um, sometimes I'll listen to podcasts and stuff like that. But I think that like just getting from one place to another place on your own is a really good way to like work out some thoughts and like kind of take a journey with yourself to from just, I know, so I think movement's really important in that. I think like it just going from point A to point B is really helpful to like have a different perspective on some things when you get to the end of it and definitely dishes and stuff. And I think that it relates back to being a parent. It's like when you're have a dedicated task to do something and it has to be done, there's no excuse. Then like you have to be with your own thoughts for a while. Then I think that's a, a pretty fruitful place to go. The novelist Agatha Christie said the best time to plan a book is when you're doing the dishes. There you go. So now I real quick, I've written about this because I'm a big runner too. I wrote about this in the Washington Post. There's a very clear link between exercise and higher order thinking creativity. 
what they found, and this has all been replicated in the lab. So this is not like snake oil science. And I use, cause I use absolutely this physical activity as a part of my process. Like when I'm in a rut, I, I go out and I go for a run and those ideas shake themselves out. But anyway, here are the, so what they did, it was in this, these studies was they put people on a treadmill for 20 minutes for six, at 60% max heart rate, which is not much more than a moderate walk, and then give them a battery of tests afterwards. And those people always scored higher than people who didn't exercise. There's a chemical in the brain called brain-derived neurotrophic factor that gets secreted just through um, increased blood flow, which is exercise. Mm-hmm. So, and it's fascinating stuff. And 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 it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, it's, you know, especially for kind of office people, but any kind of creative type. So the sweet spot is 30 minutes at 60%. Now, the good news is it's not dose responsive. So 60 minutes isn't twice as good as 30 and 90% isn't better than 60%. And, but it's gotta be something that doesn't require a lot of brain power. Mm-hmm. So it the effect gets negated if you are like listening to podcasts, unless it's like, you know, the always sunny podcast, maybe where it doesn't require <laughs> that kind of intellectual depth as good as it is. Yeah. Um, and but it's fascinating stuff. Um, so there's a reason why that happens when you're exercising, when you get those great ideas. You're talking to the two guys who like to go to the gym together on tour. So so 30 minutes. Yeah. 30 minutes. Do you really? <laughs> yeah. Do you really? That's hilarious. So 30 yeah. minutes. So for the gym rats. Um, so and it's funny because also they found that elliptical, I'm sorry, treadmills aren't as good as ellipticals because in the treadmill, there's a little bit of balance involved. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. And so it, and, and back when they did the study and um, remember we fit, you know, is that, I don't think they still have it. It was that, you know, those games you would play um, that they found that yeah. we fit that in effect is negated with we fit because you're still there's something cognitive going on as you're playing the game so um you know needless to say as a parent i mean these things have enormous implications for kids too like as as a parent it drives me crazy that kids aren't you know that we're taking recess out um yeah that's strange yeah um anyway john so yeah do you do you use that as a part of your process or is that a is that do you find you've gotten ideas in those situations well i I usually ride the recumbent bike in the gym for 30 minutes and I uh, I probably go for a higher heart rate than that. I'm like riding it at maximum resistance for 30 minutes like a maniac. So I don't know if it's ever helped me creatively, but it's certainly <laughs> helped me get over a hangover, you know? <laughs> well, it's not that it's not bad. It's just you don't have to go that fast. That's It's not that it's detrimental, but... It's oh so what I forgot to ta- say was sorry was that the, the is that the effect lasts about ninety minutes post exercise so it's not during it's afterwards when you're at your most effective. It makes sense. I feel like I'm the happiest after I do some exercise. Yeah, for like yeah. About an hour or two. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's it's literally there's re- it's fascinating stuff. And I think like I said I've written about it because I thought wow this is there seems to be a connection here. Um, so, John, how about you? During those monotonous, have you gotten acti- song ideas during monotonous activities that require, you know, no power, no brain power whatsoever? Well, the laundry room is my favorite room in my house. So, yeah. the laundry room, nice. A lot, a lot of laundry to do in my household. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm sure that has helped me the past few years as, uh, 
as the piles of laundry grew higher and higher. Um, we just put out this great new record. I mean, I think maybe one does have to do with the other. And listen, you're a good company. I interviewed uh, Kebmo a couple of years ago, and he told me that he gets ideas while folding laundry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's rhythmic, too, so it's kind of, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I've heard I've heard people, I'm doing this in vacuuming, but this is, I've heard people say that there's something about the sound of the vacuum and the, uh, but even externally too, I've heard things like um, turn signals mm-hmm. uh, when people are driving, car alarms. Um, what's I, that sto- Go ahead. I was going to say about turn signals. I typically don't listen to music when I drive. And when I hit a turn signal, I'll start, drumming on the steering wheel <laughs> and then uh i'm just making shit up in my head for the rest of the drive thanks to the uh turn signal isn't that didn't they say that's how job talking by the bgs got started wasn't it over that they were going over bumps in a highway or something right is, is that true I don't know. yeah no it is that's what i've heard that's not as far as i i've, I've heard that before so i feel you know, like it had begin- to it yeah had to beginning. at some point in time you know right um all right so john we'll stick with you then uh, how important is the ritual a ritual is important to me like i re- write in one chair i revise in another um because when it comes to at least the revision process for me i need to get as far away from the writing process as possible the closer they are the closer i'm to the writing process i think i'm more likely to miss things but that's a part of my ritual time of day i know i'm more effective at a certain time of day um, th- certain things I have to have with me. So, John, how important is that to you uh, as far as when you ha- having a ritual at all? I wouldn't say I have much of a ritual. I just kind of... Uh, when I'm working on a song, I suppose I kind of rewrite the same parts over and over again. So I'm writing and revising at the same time. And... I don't worry about how long a song might take. Sometimes it, you know, a four minute song can take 10 years to write. And sometimes, you know, you can write a longer song with way more lyrics in an hour. Uh, I guess the only thing that I, I, my only goal is uh, there's just something I could feel when the song is done, you know? Yeah. So going back to the environment, does that matter at all? Like, do you have a room in the house or anywhere, or do you feel like that's too inhibiting and it's important to be flexible? No, I mean, I have like a studio at my house, but it's not, uh, I don't have to be there to work on a song. I prefer, you know, sometimes I'll just take my guitar and my notebook into the kitchen and, you know, pour a glass of whiskey and sit there, you know, till two in the morning. Uh, Cause I want to be in the kitchen, you know? Yeah. Just, <laughs> I don't want to be in the studio, but yeah. why would I, I want to write a song in the studio and I could write this song in the kitchen. But isn't that, I think it's important that, at least for me, it's important to know that like about there are certain places that I'm more effective and that I'm not as effective, like certain rooms in the house where I just don't write. And there's somewhere I feel like, yeah, it's, it's happened here before. Yeah. And at least whether it's true or not, at least, you know, whether it's superstition or whatever, 
it's at least confidence knowing that it's happened before here or might happen again. So maybe that kitchen has that value for you. There's a couple of places in the house that I like to go sit and write the floor in the living room. For some reason, there's a lot of places to sit, but I just sit on the floor. Uh, it's a nice spot. So I, I only bring these things up because when people say things, I feel like, oh, other songwriters have said those things. But Britt Daniel, I interviewed him a couple of years ago, and he said that he writes on the floor for one specific reason. When he started writing songs, he couldn't afford a couch. And so he'd <laughs> sit on the floor and he still writes on the floor next to his couch because it gives him that connection that he doesn't have. And I thought that was so interesting. I mean. Well, yeah. I'll all the uh the first few apartments i lived in i never had any furniture so maybe <laughs> maybe that's something held over from that time in my life i think it totally is i mean you're not thinking about it consciously but at some point it just becomes this is where i've always done it and even though you might not be thinking about it um i do have a nice soft rug now though see that's be right on the hardwood floor you know so. <laughs> So you've given yourself the luxury of a rug, at least to write on. <laughs> um, I want to get back to something you said about revising, but Ian, I want to ask that same question of you. I mean, that environment, whether it's room or anything like that, is that ritual important to you? I think there's something to what John's talking about when he says, when he's talking about the kitchen, I think there's something about like where the kitchen is just like the main energy source of a home. You know what I mean? Mm. And the main energy energy source of like the people in that home um and so i think there's something it's like whenever we hang out with our friends it's in the kitchen so i think that like just a lot of life is lived in the kitchen so the kitchen it always works for me as well i'll stick with that answer too okay but i'm gonna press you on it so sure the kitchen table or do you have like an island i mean i know that sounds crazy but i i feel like we have those places he has got a freaking piano Standing. in his kitchen i do i have a piano in my kitchen so that helps <laughs> Uh, there's nowhere else it can go in the whole house we've tried <laughs> it's staying there um yeah no uh i i stand when i write and i stand like i, I kind of like pace and so like i have a kitchen island that like i'll have my notebook on it and i'll be like just kind of holding my guitar and walking around pacing around and then coming back to uh mm. to write down some ideas i like that yeah maybe even the pacing the rhythm of the pace definitely matters I, yeah um Okay, so John, you said you revise as you write. So here's what's interesting, that any prose writer will say that's the last thing you should be doing is revising as you write, you know, like because it kills your momentum as a, as a, as a thinker. And I'm talking about if, like I would never have told my students, you know, some of my students would say they can't write line two until line one is done. And when a prose piece where there's more of a connection, that's the kiss of death because you end up really just, it crushes your momentum as an idea generator, but that's prose writing and not songwriter. So when you revise as you write, are you doing it line by line, verse by verse? How small are you getting in the weeds on that idea? I kind of go until I run out of steam and then I'm like, all right, I'm not going to get the rest of this now. So what did I do? And what's cool about it? What can change? What Maybe I can separate one idea and kind of uh, clone it into uh, another verse of some sort. Uh, just 
I guess I just don't want to be done. I don't want to have to wait to write the rest. I don't know. So maybe it's just impatience. But when I feel like I'm onto something, I, I want to get the parts that I have as as uh, as close to their um, final form as, as possible, I guess. I, I find that I revise as I write. I, I, you mentioned this, but I think as uh, when I find I'm running out of steam, if I go back like a paragraph or two and I revise a couple of paragraphs before that, when I get to that paragraph where I ran out of steam, it's almost like a slingshot. I find that it like propels me into that paragraph. Yeah. Um, so I find that works for me. I think there's there's something to what you're saying about like revising or like exploring something earlier in the song or, or the prose piece or whatever. And then sometimes it'll just inspire me to be like, oh, that's like, and then it's like, now I know where to go in the fourth verse or whatever. Yeah. Or now I know that the fourth verse is the last verse and it needs to have some related conclusion to the first verse. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's like putting together like a collage sometimes of what can go where. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't have to be linear, but like, it's nice when you can find some continuity throughout the verses and stuff like that. Yeah. I, as again, as a prose writer, I'm not a linear writer at all. Like I feel yeah. like I just start writing wherever the hell I have the most to say. And I find that momentum keeps me going. I think as a prose writer, the worst thing you can do is say, oh, I've got all those ideas down there, but I can't say them yet because I haven't written the beginning yet. Um, yeah. And I just don't think as a song, as a writer, at least, I have I have no right knowing what that thing's supposed to look like at the end. Um, so I think that's kind of what you're talking about, like making it not like being nonlinear gives you more flexibility, right? Yeah, totally. It's it is like kind of a puzzle, and then like I think it's uh, at least for me, I, I feel lucky if I've gotten to a point where there's some kind of arc within a song. I feel like I push through to the other side of something interesting, um, and like kind of that's like a for me at least it's 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 a tall order to make something that makes complete sense. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, um, yeah. I, I'm going to read you a quote. I love. I'm going to read you some quotes from writers, and I want both of you to respond. I love, this is my favorite quote. This is one that blows songwriters away. away. Um, John, I'll start with you. This is from the novelist E.L. Doctorow. He says, writing is like driving at night in the fog. You can only see as far as the headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. I love that, right? So I'll repeat it. Writing sure. is like driving at night in the fog. You can only see as far as the headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. So, John, thoughts on that as a songwriter? Do you feel like it's better to know where you're going or just to kind of, you know, go inch by inch and then make the whole trip that way? Uh, songwriting to me can really be done. I mean, there's so many different ways to do it, but the two that I rely on the most is kind of uh, just you know, like you say, like inch by inch. And that's probably how I write a little bit more than half of my material. And then maybe the rest of it is I kind of have it kind of written in my head. And then uh, I'm kind of, as I'm writing it and revising it, it's kind of because I know where it's going to go. I'm just having trouble compressing it down into a song you know yeah I try, I try nowadays to be really economical with my 
words and word choices. And uh, yeah, I guess that's my biggest challenge is trying to paint you an entire picture with, you know, five or six syllables, you know? Yeah. So the shorter the word, the better, right? I think so. I think simple language uh, can be far more effective. I mean, in songwriting, I mean, if you just look at everything Hank Williams wrote, and he's yeah. kind of the gold standard for songwriting. Yeah. Um, all right, Ian, how about you? I'll repeat it. Writing is like driving at night in the fog. You can only see as far as the headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. Sometimes the headlights aren't even on, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Uh, and sometimes you need to, uh, you know, stop and get out of the vehicle for a couple months and get back in. But, but no, I think that's pretty apt, you know? I think that's a good way of putting it. It's like you're you're kind of just making this, like, slog, but you know at the other end of, the, of that tunnel is some is really a, it's a lot of euphoria and a lot of dopamine from finishing an idea even even however uh, however much of a slog in the fog as it is but yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a good one i know it's not a good one you know it's funny i i didn't mention this earlier but i find that when i if i finish something in the morning and then come back 12 hours later the writing is still too precious to me and i have a hard time cutting stuff but i find that if i finish something at night wake up and go to sleep wake up the next morning I can cut stuff like it's nobody's business. There's something about sleep that I wake up the next morning and it's no problem cutting stuff. I don't know what that is if it's a sleep thing, but that's absolutely part of my process. And it's like, I know that I go, I know that these things are hard to let go of now, but when I wake up, wake up in the morning, I have no problem yeah. getting rid of that stuff. I think you gain confidence too. You know what I mean? There's something about being confident enough to to know that you can like cut some precious elements to like make one stronger, bigger picture, you know? Yeah. Um, and I there might be something about sleep, but it's definitely just like time too. I feel like it's just it, maybe maybe it's because you haven't spent your whole entire uh, day like with it in the back of your mind obsessing over it while you're doing right. everything else that you have to do. So you're just literally woke up with a fresh palette you know what i mean yeah that's a good point because i feel like even if during the day even if not, i'm not thinking about it it's doing something back there yeah it's and always there yeah it's, it's always kinda... there and and that's that's also what i would tell my students that when they would get anxious about the process i would say your writing process is always taking place if you ever think about the yeah. writing process as just taking place while you're writing you're done but it's taking place while you're eating sleeping working out you know walking and that is kind of much more that's makes it much more much easier to i think just to understand rather than like oh my gosh i'm not writing now what am i doing yes you are writing something's going on up there even though you don't know it yeah that's the creative process it's just it's living you know yeah yeah all right one more quote john this is alan ginsburg the poet to gain your own voice you have to forget about having it heard so maybe that's making being, you know, having no self-consciousness when it comes to your voice. So to gain your own voice, you have to forget about having it heard. How important is that as a songwriter? Uh, have you heard my voice? <laughs> <laughs> I have, yes. I guess we're talking literal voice. I was talking more metaphorical. <laughs> uh, 
And I think um, that that's really the only way you can write and be true to yourself is if you're just doing it for you. You know, you're not worrying about uh, how other people are going to see you or interpret your work or uh, it's, it's not, uh, I don't know, to me, like I'm not, I'm writing because I love to do it, not because I need critical praise or something. I mean, it's really cool to have an audience, uh, you know, captivated by your work and singing along and stuff. And that's definitely a big part of it too. But, you know, if I would probably still just be writing songs anyway, if I didn't have this, uh, this band and this, touring lifestyle and concerts and all that stuff. I would, I'd be writing songs anyway. Yeah. Ian, how about you then? Is it, is that, is, is, I guess being, having no, being, what's the opposite of self-conscious, unselfconscious, uh, I don't know, whatever that would be, but is that important? I guess that's an important element to have as a songwriter, right? Yeah. I think you, you need to, I don't think there's room for other people or, like or like expectations when you enter like the true dream state of like writing a song that you're really proud of. You know what I mean? I feel like you can't ever get to that state of mind if you're thinking about expectation. And I often think, yeah, when you're thinking about expectation and, and critical praise, then you're probably going to tend to try to like, you know, ape somebody else's work that's had that critical praise. So I think if you're talking about finding your own metaphorical voice um, and your own perspective, then yeah, I think it's it's important to be able to let go of the reality of this as a career or something, you know? Yeah. All right, last question. So I do find that songwriters are pretty voracious readers. Uh, so I'm curious, Ian, we'll continue with you and then to John. Um, do you like to read? If you do, who do you like to read? Who are some of your favorite authors? Maybe even other. I mean, I've had. I'm mean, again not to invoke Hemingway. Hemingway said all writers should go to art galleries. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I'm curious. You know, yeah. Talk about reading and maybe other art in general. How that? How much of that is a part of your life? Reading is a huge part of my life, and that's one of my favorite parts about going on tour and getting away from the family, though I love them deeply. Is that I have a lot. I'll of edit that part out, by the way. Thank so. you. <laughs> She's never listened to this anyway. Um, <laughs> But uh, no, I love it. I've read three books so far in this tour. I'm on my third book, but I I read that Philosophy of Modern Song by Bob Dylan, which is like a fun read. I read, and then I'm kind of into into some like nonfiction right now. I read that book by Warren Zanes about Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska, which is really amazing. And I'm in the middle of that Double in the, in the White City book. Which is, is that really Larson? Good. Wait, yeah, is that Eric, Eric Larson? Larson? Yeah. yeah. But for fiction, and like I think fiction actually is really what like, um, you know, loosens up my mind to be creative with words uh as i'm just always been a huge raymond carver fan and reading george saunders currently of course you know yeah uh raymond carver always comes up with songwriters um, yeah it's i think it's the economical aspect it's like short stories and songs have a relationship to me and i think his economy with his words probably has uh a you know an appeal to songwriters who are trying to simplify them themselves Raymond Carver, here are the four, the big four. Raymond Carver, uh, Bukowski, uh, McCarthy, and Kurt Vonnegut. If I could say those are the four most common, it's those four. 
Um, yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, so I've got another one for you if you like that economy. Um, yeah, and I was turned on to this writer by a couple of songwriters, um, Brees DJ Pancake. So wow. Brees, yeah. So Brees B R E E C E D apostrophe J, and then Pancake is in the food. So here's the deal. He's called the Hillbilly Hemingway. Um, he wrote one <laughs> book, and there was an article about him in the New Yorker a few years ago. He was apparently heralded as the greatest, and this was, I think, in the 80s. He was going to be the greatest, the next great American short story writer. Um, he wrote one book of short stories and then committed suicide when he was like 25. Wow. Um, but he grew up in the Appalachians. So it's that Hemingway-esque type of writing, but from Appalachia. Um Beautiful. It, it's fa- and I was turned on to him by some songwriters and, cool. and enough mentioned him and I said I got to read this guy. It's amazing. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, John, how about you? Uh, I'm a big nonfiction fan and uh, specifically uh, crime and crime journalism. <laughs> yeah. Uh, TJ English is one of my favorite crime journalists. Uh, currently reading two nonfiction books. I got the, uh, I don't want to mess up his any names here. Oh, I left him on the bus. Um, is it Mark Lewison? That's his name. Uh, this insanely. Sorry, this insanely detailed uh, account of the Beatles' first like four years as a band. Uh, it's called Volume One. All these years, or something along those lines. Uh, it's apparently the first of a trilogy. It's an exhaustive read, but you know, if you're into the subject matter, it's it, it's easily uh, digestible. Um, and I have to look up the author's name of this book, Black Girl from Pyongyang in Search of My Identity by uh, Monica Maceas. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's M-A-C-I-A-S. Um, she was basically uh, grew up in North Korea under the care of uh, uh Kim Il-sung, uh, after her father, who was the uh, leader of a nation in Africa, was assassinated in a coup. Uh, so it's it's a pretty uh, yeah pretty wild story. Have you read uh, Killers of the Flower Moon by David Graham? Uh, no, not yet. But it's been uh, it's been recommended big time by my buddy Key, who uh, and I know they're turning that into a movie. And, yeah, it's uh, been apparently it's it premiered a con film festival. It got like rave reviews. Um, and he's an amazing writer, but that book's fantastic. So well, cinema is another medium that uh is kind of helps me be creative too. I'm, I love going to the movies and I used to be a projectionist and uh you know I'm I'm all about that experience. So do you actively, do you feel like those ideas wash over you kind of, uh, you know, subconsciously, or do you feel like that's, you know, not that you're going to go there and say, I'm going to get some ideas, but is it, is it hard to watch a movie 
just watch it for the value, but also thinking about, oh, maybe, you know, some, uh, I make it some ideas from this. Is it hard to do both of those at the same time? I guess. I try to just be an observer and a consumer of the, uh, of, of the medium. Uh, but yeah, sometimes it can be a little distracting if I'm like, Oh, there's, there's a song in there, you know? I mean, like I wrote my song, uh, Baltimore Blues, uh, after watching Goodfellas for the probably hundredth time. But uh, I was like, I found the song in Goodfellas. (laughs) And that's it. Thanks for listening. My name is Ben Opapari, and this is Songwriters on Podcast. Don't forget, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Song Process, at uh, Instagram at Songwriters on Process, There is a YouTube channel. I stopped posting videos a couple of years ago, but there's a lot of them out there, some good ones too. Um, And I'd love to hear from you. Ben at songwritersonprocess.com. Email me. I'd love your suggestions, complaints, comments, anything like that. And don't forget, the site goes all the way back to 2010. Uh, If you go to songwritersonprocess.com, there's about 200 interviews of songwriters, but they're all transcribed. The podcast is new. But the site is about 13 years old with all those interviews. There's about, gosh, with including the podcast, about 300 total. So check them out. And I am out. Have a good one, everyone. 